Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Chronically Mom podcast. I am your host, Michelle Pickens, the voice behind Chronically Blonde on Instagram and chronicallyblonde.com. This week, I am featuring an interview with two really incredible people. They are the creators of Fodzyme, which is a revolutionary digestive enzyme product. It is a product that I use very frequently to help with my GI symptoms. Um, I will let them explain it more because they get into the science in this episode. They explain the benefits of the product, what it does, and very exciting. They also let me into a little secret about a brand new product launch that I am personally very excited about, and I think you guys will be too. So if you want to take a look in the show notes, I have all of the information linked for their website. I also want to preface the episode letting you guys know that they have provided a discount code for listeners. It is chronically blonde, and you get 20% off any of their products. So If you are interested in trying out Fodzyme, you can do so with that code. Without further ado, let's jump in. I hope you enjoy today's episode. First off, thank you guys so much for for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you guys about the company, the product. So I guess to start, let's do an intro. What is Fodzyme and, and who are you guys? Awesome. I'll get us, I'll introduce Fodzyme starting out. So Fodzyme is the first solution to target FODMAPs directly. It's a novel patent pending blend of digestive enzymes specifically designed to tackle some of the most common FODMAP triggers. Those are lactose, galacto-oligosaccharides, and fructans. And um, I'm Angie, um, here with my co-founder, David. Um, this company really got started, um, I guess, going back to when I got the IBS diagnosis about eight years ago. And then I went on this little FODMAP adventure, like many IBS and GI folks um, um, go on to at the recommendation of my gastroenterologist and um, found that the product, uh, the the diet itself was um, clinically very effective, but just um, took a huge toll on my lifestyle. Um, and so started developing Fodzyme with um, our scientists and advisors, like our um, lead scientist, Dr. Shalaka Samant, and kind of caught this entrepreneurship bug, um, met David through uh, a co-founder matching platform, and we together launched a product, um, built the Fodzyme team that's still growing. And um, I'll pass that on to, to David to, to introduce himself. Thank you, Angie. That's a wonderful introduction. And thank you, Michelle, for having us. Um, unfortunately, I, I don't have the, the typical story as I, I'm not a sufferer myself um, of, of any gut disorders, uh, at least for now. Um, my, my journey started in grad school. Um, I had the um, um, unusual luck of finding a research advisor who had an interest. He was a gastroenterologist, had an interest. Uh, in stool and bowel movements, um, and ended up making my my graduate thesis to um, study images of stool um, in patients with IBS, um, which is a very obscure and weird subject for someone that doesn't have right. <laughs> a particular problem with it. Um, but I found it so so unusual and yet um, so clinically relevant that I pursued that that kind of research path. Um, Fast forward, uh, I, you know, um, started a company out of that that was later acquired. And um, right after that, met Angie, uh, who reached out to me with the best message anyone could reach out to you. It looks like you know about poop. Um, and that um, that got me and uh, the rest of history. Um, but yeah, just as a background, I my background is in epidemiology and mathematics and um you know, all, all of the good ways to arrange ideas, um, but perhaps not directly into biology, but just generally on everything else. That's incredible. That's amazing. The the story of how you guys got connected. I feel like that's how I meet people these days too, is I'm like, Hey, you know about poop? Let's chat. Like, so I'm right there, right there with you. you know, um, I, I love to call it, I love to call poop the, um, it's a, it's a taboo, but it's a, a subtype of taboo where it's it's a weak one because or unstable one where 
whenever someone talks about it, then everyone else talks about it. Yes. Um, it doesn't happen with everything else, but it's a it's an interesting type of thing, I guess. That's so um, true. It's like once someone breaks down the barrier, yeah. well, this is going on, then everyone is that's like, I mean, in with their story. Oh, that's so yes. true. Uh, let's get into a little bit about the FODMAP, low FODMAP diet. What is that? Because I, I know I've personally been on it. I'm sure a lot of people that are listening have went through um, the diet, but just in case they are not familiar, or it's been a while. Can you give us a rundown on what the low FODMAP diet is? What are FODMAPs? Um, and then I guess what are common FODMAP containing foods? I'm happy to take this one, Angie. Um, so I feel like everyone is familiar with FODMAPs, except they're not familiar with the name FODMAPs, but they're definitely familiar with the foods that contain FODMAPs. Um, and I feel like acronyms tend to be scary, but um, there's no reason to be <laughs> scared of it. Uh, so FODMAPs are a family of, of molecules and specifically of fibers that are present in pretty much every food we eat every day. We eat FODMAPs every day, most people do. Um, and they're very important for um, the health of the plant, the survival of the plants that we eat, uh, but also for the health of humans. So it's very important to make sure that when we talk about FODMAPs, they're generally positively affecting our health. Um, they're prebiotic fibers that feed the bacteria in our gut. Um, and that's a very important function of, of our health. Um, unfortunately, for you know, um, a small amount of the population for some people with sensitive guts and particularly those with conditions like irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, um, they can be quite painful uh, in the form of gas, bloating, abdominal pain, uh, diarrhea, constipation. And um, I say unfortunate because it is healthy, but at the same time, it is long-term healthy, but short-term painful uh, for those who eat those foods. Um, and examples of the foods, I mean, the, the, the staple foods are, you know, garlic, onion, wheat, apple, banana, just an endless list of foods, half of the fruits and vegetables you can think of, and particularly those that taste really good. So if it tastes good, there's a high chance it's high in FODMAPs. Can you explain a little bit about enzymes specifically? What are enzymes? How do enzymes impact digestion? Sure. So a good way to think about enzymes is they're like molecular scissors that are specialized to break down particular food components. They're proteins, so they're a chain of amino acids that are fold folded up in a very intricate way, and it has that kind of fingerprint um, of, that's specific to itself and what it can break down. Um, specifically, um, one enzyme would be able to break down um, a specific substrate or whatever it works on. And so there are thousands of enzymes that are found throughout the body and our digestive enzymes are just one minor category of enzymes, still a, a, a ton of stuff within that, that um, one category. And um, our enzymes specifically, um, FODzyme, we use three enzymes that break down um, the FODMAPs, lactose, galactooligosaccharides, and fructans so that they can be absorbed in the body. And to back up a little bit, the body doesn't produce um, any of those FODMAP digesting enzymes apart from lactase. It does produce a number of enzymes that break down things like proteins, um, fats, um, other carbohydrates, but it doesn't produce any to break down FODMAPs with the exception of lactase. And that's a common... Yeah, that's a common misconception amongst um, our users as well, folks who say, you know, FOD, FODzyme allows me to, um, or it, it supplements the, the enzymes that I'm lacking. But actually, um, the, the fact is that no one has those enzymes um, produced endogenously within their bodies. Um, and instead, those FODMAPs, uh, most of the FODMAPs, especially the common ones like fructan and galacto-oligosaccharides that are in some of the most common delicious foods like beans and garlic, wheat, onion, bananas, etc. Um, those FODMAPs are considered fibers, so they're not broken down, instead are metabolized by um, bacteria in the gut, and they produce really helpful um, compounds such as short-chain fatty acids, as David alluded to. And so the issue that that um, it's kind of a mysterious one, we don't 
understand yet the mechanism behind um, FODMAP intolerance, but it is a question of, um, it is an issue of degree. So give any normal healthy person a huge burrito bowl with beans and garlic and onion and add like a few dollops of sour cream on it. And they will also have GI distress um, yeah. at these amounts. But for some reason, FODMAP sensitive folks, um, that well, what we consider FODMAP sensitive folks um, folks with GI conditions like IBS, they just tend to be a lot more sensitive than, than normal, normal folks. That's so interesting. Thank you for explaining that because I feel like in all the years that I've, I've talked to my doctor about FODMAPs and things like that, I, I've never known that it's not, we don't create the, the enzymes ourselves. I, I thought it was a, a you know, a, a supplementations that that's very, very interesting. I wanted to add because you asked earlier, you know, what is what is a low FODMAP diet? And I don't think we covered specifically what that is. Um, but to anyone, and this is very common for for folks that are um diagnosed with with IBS, um, the kind of the first line of defense from a clinical perspective is to recommend patients to avoid these foods. And depending on the clinician that is um supervising that that patient, that will be uh that could go from just a high level recommendation of, you know, here's a list of foods to avoid because they, they can bother you um, to a more hands-on approach of let's figure out which foods you can actually tolerate so that you don't have to eliminate all of these foods. Um, and that's really the the approach that we we tend to um, favor and recommend and, and promote as much as possible. Um, eliminate the, the process of discovering which FODMAPs affect you. There's so many, uh, there's, there's several categories of FODMAPs, but then within that, there's different foods. Um, and typically, it's it's to figure out which FODMAPs affect you, um, it involves going through an elimination diet that then reintroduces one by one those, those food items and figuring out which ones affect you. That is a very difficult process. We call it an impossible diet. Um, and most people cannot really go through it unless they, they reach a point of of really a lot of desperation and, and, and trouble with these, with these foods. Um, and so, you know, once you reintroduce those foods, you, you can figure out, oh, well, maybe I'm intolerant to garlic and onion, but I can have avocado, for example, which is another high FODMAP containing food. Um, and that way you build a diet. I mean, the goal of dietetics in general is to expand, not narrow down diet. So like most clinicians should, should you know, abide by the idea of, you know, let's expand diet as much as possible. And, um, you know, that's also one of the kind of goals of FODSIME is really to expand the dietary palate beyond, you know, the limitations of, of FODMAP restrictions. I love that. And I feel like that has such a big social impact and mental impact on people that are suffering too, which we'll definitely get into later is that's a huge thing that I like, I personally really, really love and resonate with, with the brand. So um, thank you for, for sharing that. I want to get into a little bit. We talked about scientifically what Fodzyme does. Um, and I guess, can we get into more around the benefits for the user and how specifically someone would go about using the powder? Sure. So the basic mechanism behind FOD Fodzyme is pretty simple. And what's important to know is that um, larger, more complex carbohydrates, like most of the FODMAPs, um, they're not just absorbed directly in the GI tract, but um, they have to be broken down. And again, we don't have those enzymes that break it down. Um, the, the FODMAPs, uh, most of the FODMAPs typically just go through the GI tract um, and get fermented later on, or they're excreted if they don't get kind of um, tackled by our gut microbiota. Um, and so the way we work, it's Kind of think of it like our a next gen lactate. So lactate products they break down the lactose beforehand, or um, as you're eating with the lactase enzyme, which is also in the Fodzyme um, formulation, but we go beyond that, um, and it breaks down lactose into simple sugars that are just quickly absorbed in the system before the lactose molecule that that some folks have issue with, in fact, many folks have issue with, um, can wreak havoc downstream. And that's kind of how FODZYME works as well, but for beyond lactose, but also the, the um, complex um, carbohydrates, um, fibers, 
fructan, galacto-oligosaccharides, we break them down um, um, quickly beforehand. So those FODMAPs essentially are eliminated from the GI tract. Okay. Thank, that was a really, really good uh, analogy to lactate too. I feel like that put it into to perspective. Thank you. Um, so why is, why is Fodzyme a powder? Okay. That's a great, yeah. Another great um, question and points to the second um, layer of innovation here. The first one being that we have the novel enzymes that specifically target fructan, which is such a big pain point for a lot of folks because it's the FODMAP that's behind garlic and onion and wheat. And I used to call this a trifecta of like, you know, the, the most common ubiquitous and hard to avoid high FODMAP foods. And then I we started talking to customers who also called it like this trifecta and it's garlic, onion, wheat, um, those guys. It's in everything. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's so hard to avoid. Um, and so, um, so one layer of innovation is that um, we have novel enzymes that tackle um, new FODMAPs that haven't been tackled before. The second layer of innovation is the mechanism of delivery. We realized early on that how you deliver the product, how you administer the product to the user is as important as what's actually in the product itself. Um, and that's kind of mind blowing because no one else out there is doing this. Um, all of the digestive enzyme products you see over the counter out there, they're they're pills, they're um, mostly capsules meant to be swallowed. And when you put enzymes in a capsule, you're keeping it away from the food that it's meant to break down. The enzymes can't just work at a distance. And so something we're really passionate about is, you know, just explaining how maximizing the surface area between the enzymes and the food as soon as possible before your GI tract um, threatens the um, enzymes. Because remember, their food themselves are proteins that will get broken down in the system. Um, essentially, they're like food that's able to do something while they're active. Um, and we want to make sure that enzyme activity is um, activated as quickly as possible, which is why we tell our users to spread, to sprinkle this product over their meals, allowing the enzymes to get quickly to their FODMAP substrates. That makes so much sense. It seems like such a simple concept, but you're right. There's so many, like I've taken other digestive enzymes and things like that. And everything is in supplement form or, or in, uh, sorry, capsule form. And it's like, it just, it doesn't make sense. And I, I think that way for a lot of products um, that are supposed to treat GI issues, it's like, why are we having these extra layers on it that your body has to break down when that's already, you know, causing the issues. So I think that's really revolutionary what you guys are doing and that it just makes sense. <laughs> um, so it's a good story to tell. Yeah, definitely. So I want to get into a little bit more about who this product is for. So obviously people that are suffering with IBS, um, people with IBD, um, but who across the board can use your product and who do you feel benefits most from the product? I would, I would argue, well, first of all, that, um, you know, we, when we talk about enzymes, uh, we eat enzymes every day. The food that we eat has enzymes in it. Um, so just like anything we eat, uh, pineapple, for example, what have you, um, fodzymes, enzymes, um, if they have nothing to work on, you will just digest them, just as Angie just mentioned, right? Um, so there's nothing wrong for any human to consume uh, these food, which would be a potentially a waste of money <laughs> if, if you don't have a specific problem with FODMAPs. Um, so the ideal, you know, FODZYME user um, is someone that has um, understood, uh, ideally a VS structure process, that they're FODMAP sensitive, that when they eat high FODMAP foods, they tend to, um, you know, not feel well, have typically lower GI symptoms like bloating, abdominal pain, gas, diarrhea, constipation. Um, that tends to be um, concentrated in folks with IBS but it's not necessary. Um, you can have healthy individuals, as Angie was saying earlier, that can also be sensitive to FODMAPs, maybe at a, at a lesser degree, but still could benefit from the use of FODSIGN. But typically that idea of, 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 of reducing the FODMAP content in a meal uh, can be valid for anyone. 
Um, and obviously, when someone is getting started with Fodzyme, we typically recommend that they start with a small amount. You know, for example, if they're sensitive to garlic, we don't recommend that they go out and eat like a huge meal full of garlic. We would recommend right. that they start small uh, and build up kind of their their tolerance. There's a little bit of a learning curve to use Fodzyme. Um, and this is because dosage is very personal. Um, the amount of Fodzyme you need is, it depends on your intolerance. It depends on the foods you're eating. Um, and unlike a capsule or a pill that has a, you know, a set uh, type of dosage, um, we much rather have someone understand their own intolerance a little bit. It might take a few days, a few tries to to figure out those, those kind of the personalization aspects. Um, but once you you figure that out, it's an incredibly versatile um, product. I love that it's you can adjust the the dosing for yourself too, and it's not harmful if you're putting a little bit more on than you need or something like that. Cause I think that's a concern if you're taking a medication or something like that, it's like, Oh, I want to take as little as possible. So, you know, because you're worried about effects, but it doesn't sound like such a great point. Yeah. It doesn't sound like there's any negative effects. Are there any negative effects or risks associated? The the clear analogy here, and and thank you for bringing that point up is lactose-free milk. If you, anyone can drink that milk, there's nothing wrong with that. Right, even the, the lactose has been broken down, and it's potentially still enzymes in the, you know, in the in the in the milk bottle that you're drinking. Um, so the same idea applies here. Um, um, there is nothing wrong with with um, uh, consuming a food that has been, you know, exposed to fodzyme, um, where those fodmaps has been broken down into simple sugars. It, it might taste a little sweeter, just like lactose milk tastes a little sweeter because the lactose has been broken down in those sugars. Um, but that's that's all that can happen. Um, in terms of uh, um, uh, downsides or risks, um, obviously, you know it's it's hard to generalize, and and like any product, you know, individual experiences may 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 vary. Um, but generally, you know, in, in most cases, when someone is the right candidate for Fodzyme, um, the, the they they will notice an effect in in their symptoms. Um, and if Fodzyme doesn't work. Um, well, they will have the typical, you know, um, uh, discomfort that they tend to experience with a high FODMAP food. So that's typically what we see. In very, very uh, rare cases, folks have allergies to to enzymes. Um, so that's definitely something to be aware of. If they happen to be allergic to enzymes, you know, be careful with that. Um, yeah, but other than that, it's it's a very safe type of intervention. Enzymes are essentially food, as Angie was saying. They're very safe. Type of intervention. So um, that's all I would say. Perhaps the last thing is if you know someone has a very rare or specific condition, it doesn't hurt to ask their clinician about the use of Fodzyme. Um, so that's always something we would, we would recommend. But generally, again, it's basically active food. So that's, that's a great explanation. Thank you. Can kids use it as well? Or is there like a certain age that you recommend? Because like, I know from my experience, like I, there's one pasta meal that my son and my husband love and it's like tomato sauce with garlic and onions. And like, I get so sick every time and I've been using the powder on it, but I'm like, is that something that, you know, if my kids are starting to experience issues, is that something that I can try almost like when, you know, your kid maybe develops an issue with milk and you try lactate or something like that? Is that something that you guys recommend or talk to your pediatrician about, or what's, what's the deal there? Definitely recommend talking to your healthcare provider beforehand, but we definitely have a lot of users um, and, and folks who who buy for their for their children, especially. Um, the only thing I would add is that um, we do again the the dosage, as um, David alluded to, it's a little bit more of an art, and so if kids are eating a little bit less, they can play with the dosage a little bit to dose down. But it's not so much. It's not so much that it's again like one thing we we stress. Um, very often is that Fodzyme works on the food and not on the individual. It's really essentially pre-treating while it's on the plate and, you know, continuing to treat it while it's going through your GI tract, um, um, the food, and it's not working on any part of your body. So um, there's no reason this couldn't be used in children. Um, But again, just this is 
kind of something to play with based on how much they're eating. And, you know, we get a lot of um, questions on, you know, if a, if a child is, you know, weighs this much, how much they should they use? Well, it's, it's not so much that it's on the, again, on the child, but um, on the food that they're eating. So if um, your child has FODMAP intolerances, this could be a great place to start because again, low FODMAP is highly restrictive. Um, it's hard enough for adults to do. Um, it's kind of unimaginable for, for kids to have to go through that restriction and, and also for parents to, to take care of dealing with all of those various meals for the family. Definitely. I, and that- I think that that, sorry, I was just going to say that I think that that highlights such a, such an important point that, you know, FODMAP intolerance is, you know, while very prevalent in the population, um, it's not just a clinical issue. Um, it, it goes way beyond that to the social and gastronomical. It can affect the family dynamics. We see this all the time with parents and their kids, uh, in, between couples, um, and obviously the, the social the, the social aspect of going out for a dinner, you know, um, uh, gastronomical aspect, just enjoying food. Like, what a basic thing. Um and and I think that that's the really what um, what I think is quite unique about how we approach solving these issues is not just focusing on the clinical, which seems to be the majority of the industry, but really focus on solutions that also fulfill the um, the, the social and gastronomical sort of they, they solve those problems as well. Um, and I think that that is that is quite unique, and also in an industry where, as you know, as a dietary supplement, you know, there isn't much regulation. In terms of efficacy, we do we do put an emphasis on that. We have a well, we can discuss that later. But we do have a, a peer review paper that came out recently, and we're working on on additional pieces of evidence. So, anyways, just wanted to add just a little point. Yeah, that that was a really really great point. I think, um, especially when you get into kids that are having to go through the elimination diets and things like that, it really can affect your relationship. And I mean, as an adult, I know that I've struggled, but as a kid, it, it must be very difficult to you know go to a birthday party and not be able to eat what your friends are eating and things like that. So taking down that barrier and making it more accessible or something that that they don't have to have that added stress that is so huge so I want to talk about that a little bit more um I so this is a little bit of a tangent but recently I just uh was doing some work and an article with a pediatric GI um and a pediatric psychologist about the link with eating disorders and um and IBD and it was so interesting because a lot of the development of eating disorders is focused around um the like labeling of good and bad food and the focus on food and restriction of, of certain types of food. So I feel like this is such a great tool to have in that toolbox, either as a parent or for yourself, um, so that you don't have those good and bad foods. It's like you can all foods are accessible and you're able to try things in moderation. Um, so it kind of takes that away. So I think that's, uh, that's just incredible. And the thing that I, I really love about it, um, but how do you feel like you've seen the impact on, or how do you, how do you feel you've seen patients or users, um, and their impact on their relationship with food? Oh gosh, there's, there's a lot to say (laughs) here. There's, I mean, I, I know from personal experience, just how fed up I was with, um, it wasn't even so much the clinical at that point. It was like constantly making the, the, the choice between the, you know, symptoms and being able to enjoy a a night out or, um, a a regular get together. Um, a lot of the things that, that have kind of resonated with me from what, um, our users have said, you know, just not having to have to carry this burden of constantly having the low FODMAP diet, like lists on your head, interrogating waiters is something that, you know, folks have a lot, get a lot of relief out of not having to, to, to even think about that or questioning their friends who cooked like a, like a very nice dinner for them in their home and then having to, you know, question them and because no one has that kind of, you know, no one's thinking about what's, oh, like, have I put garlic or onion into these foods? Right. And um, 
And just that kind of mental energy that can be so um, fatiguing when you're looking for this very narrow range of options that suit your your diet um, on a regular basis, traveling, going out with friends. Um, David, any any on your yeah, side? Yeah, well, you know, we make it a point to be as close as possible to to customers so that we we learn all these things. In fact, when we launched Fodzine. Uh, a little over two years ago, uh, I remember that the only way you could get it is actually talking to either Angie or myself um, to have a conversation. Uh, so, and that kind of that's kind of where the the name Kiwi comes from, just to be an approachable company that you can talk to and have these conversations. But we do we do see, uh, I mean, many of these examples uh, Angie has mentioned, but other you know between even like couple dynamics where you know someone one one of the members of the couple maybe you know, heavily intolerant to FODMAPs, the other one isn't. And so when they go out for dinner, when they decide what to cook at home, it's always it's always a huge <laughs> uh, burden uh, to decide, you know, what is it that, that they're going to cook and do they cook two different meals or not? Same with parents, of course, and kids. Um, to even things like enjoying family dinners and, and important holidays or festivities, like we've seen this use case in... Um, you know, maybe, you know, your your grandparents are cooking or hosting a dinner or what have you. And, you know, it's an important festivity. You want to go there and not, you know, and not piece off your grandmother or your grandfather or something right. that they're cooking and they're making this amazing meal. And, and then you're, you know, you're not enjoying it. So um, there's so many, um, so much complexity into this web of how food and culture and social um society fits together um that is just an endless list of, of cases maybe these are just a few yeah yeah that's incredible as as you were telling these I'm, i have one like situation where i'm like this would have been amazing if i would have had this like eight years ago my first date with my now husband he ordered the food like before I got there and I'm like oh my gosh I can't eat any of this like I'm gonna be so sick but I was so I was still at the beginning of my diagnosis and I was really self-conscious and I'm like oh I don't want to say anything and like he was really sweet and ordered this and so I ate it and I was so sick I threw up on our first date like so bad and I'm like this could have been a great option but it's like little things like that that you don't think about until you're going through it you know um so it makes for a good yeah. story but it would have been nice if, you know, it didn't, it didn't happen. Me <laughs> of um, some of the, you know, we, we get a lot of emails and like even physical mail, like kind of love letters to Fodzheim for, for instances, you know, describing instances, especially special occasions, folks who have used Fodzheim for their wedding and been able to eat all this stuff that they like chose for their catering and thought that they weren't able to to enjoy we have know. wedding pictures with Fodzheim actually <laughs> oh my gosh, that's incredible yeah. wow that like it's like making me tear up a little bit because it's it really is so it's such a huge part of life food is such a big part of gatherings and just community and being able to participate and not have to worry it, that's it, that's just such a beautiful gift that you're able to to give to people and then the traveling thing too, I can't remember which one of you mentioned it, but um, with traveling, you know, I, I love traveling and that's something that worries me is, you know, going to different places or even, you know, different country, not knowing what is in the food. So it, it, that it really just opens up a whole new aspect of, of life for people that do have IBS or IBD. Um, so thank you guys for for all of the work that you're doing um it sounds like you have a a lot of other uh happy customers who have um really really benefited from uh from fun time. Fun, fun story um we started getting uh, a while back questions on whether you can travel with Fodzheim and whether it's tsa approved so we're <laughs> happy to say that it is it is okay to travel with Fodzheim, even though it's a it's a white powder no one um, ever asked me any questions. I've, I've traveled like all over the world to, at this point. Yes. It's completely safe to travel with it. If you're wondering. I love on your guys' website, I was looking through and it's like, don't don't snort this, even though it's, it's like other white powders. So I guess you have to preface it, that with TSA maybe, you know. We can't take the credit for that. Uh, people, you know, customers were, were asking or making jokes about you know, white powders. Um, it's so, <laughs> it's so yeah. funny. 
Um, so one more thing that I, I really want to get into, I know we, we talked about this before about, um, most treatments target lifestyle or target the, the actual body instead of the food. Um, what made you guys look at it from this perspective of targeting the food? Like I've never thought of it this way and I've never really heard of any other companies get to this point where, where you guys are at. So what inspired that? And how did you kind of take that idea and, and run with it? I can take this. Um, so I think um, we, we met at DDW, right? Digestive Disease Week, um, the biggest um, GI conference. Um, I don't know if it's the biggest, but one of the most prestigious um, in, in the in the U.S. And we, I think there we, we kind of always, always knew that there was this big divide between how clinicians solve the problem, um, especially doctors, GIs see the issues and how us patients experience it. Um, and at DDW, it was just very stark how um, that kind of like huge divide and like kind of out of touchness a little bit um, that was there. A lot of the GIs were really surprised by how restrictive the low FODMAP diet really is, even though they refer patients to it every single day. And we talked to them, we asked them how often they check in with their patients on this. And they're like, most of them say almost never. Not This is not everyone. Some of them are, you know, kind of follow up on these IBS patients and, and other GI conditions, um, folks, they give the low FODMAP diet to and really like coach them throughout. But most people just give them the diet and the handout and that's it. And that's what also happened to me. So I think the way clinicians, especially GIs think about this is low FODMAP diet is clinically effective. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a safe intervention. It's a gold standard of what we have. So why don't you just do it? And they're shocked that patients are not adherent to it. And all of that's from a clinical, like symptom-driven lens. But again, as David has um, really um, expounded on, there's so much more to a patient's life than just their symptoms. It's the social, the cultural um, factors, the family factors. There's so many roles that food um, plays in a person's life and so many ways, um, so many touch points it has in a person's daily lifestyle. Um, the low FODMAP diet just can be really, really overwhelming. And that's why a lot of folks, they don't opt in for it or they don't stay on it or they end up on it and then have this fear of food and, yeah. and um, disordered eating kind of tendencies. And I had personal experience with how that impacted my lifestyle. Um, and I mentioned how how I got really sick of it. And I just remember that tipping point being that um, a, a bunch of friends were cooking food um, together and they asked me, I know, what, what was it that you can't eat again? I gave them the, the kind of the majors. I wouldn't give them the whole list, but I'd give them the you know garlic onion, like don't make maybe chickpeas or something like that. Um, and so they asked what, yet again uh, what I couldn't eat. And then they cooked it and they were like, oh, I'm so sorry, we forgot. It was still had garlic and onion in it. And I remember being so frustrated, even not at them, but at the food itself. I was like, why can't we just get rid of the FODMAPs, those stupid FODMAPs and garlic and onions so I can eat this food again? And that was kind of that like magic, like light bulb moment. Like let's target the food directly. I love that. So from there, that's where everything sort of, sort of sparked then, right? Yeah. The, the, then I, I think I got really passionate about this and I couldn't think about anything else for like the next years. <laughs> Well, it's great though, because look what, look what you guys have, have built from this. And it's, it's really incredible to see how you've taken your struggle and your, you know, negative experiences and turned it into something that can be so helpful and so impactful for, for people. And I, I definitely want to comment too on what you said about, um, the, out sort of out of touchness of the GI providers. I've noticed that too. And it's hard, the, the more that I talk with them, it's, they're looking at it from such a different perspective. It's a very, um, just based, like you said, on the symptoms and what is clinically proven, what can we do to, you know, fix this or, or, uh, mitigate the symptoms as, as soon as we can, instead of looking at the holistic picture of someone's life. So I love that this really takes into account all of the aspects, the social aspects, the, like you said, the cultural aspects, um, and gives a solution that isn't so 
limiting. Um, so it, I, I love that you guys are really giving the power back to people experiencing these symptoms. So thank you for, for doing that. Thank you for your support. Of course, of course. So what is next for you guys? Um, what, I mean, what is next within the science? What's next for products? Like, give me, give me the scoop on, on what we should expect. Yeah. Um, so maybe I can get started. You know, one of the, just to continue on, on the idea of, of PodMaps, uh, the vision from the beginning was to have a, a solution that can tackle all PodMaps. Um, and there is one group of FODMAPs that right now is not uh, within our reach with the current formulation of FODZYME. Um, that's the polyol, the P in FODMAPs. Um, and that tends to be foods like avocado, mushrooms, apple. Um, it's not the biggest uh, troublemaker. Uh, fructan is, which is the one that Angie was mentioning earlier, you know, is the garlic, the onion, the wheat. That, that is really the, the most difficult thing. But polyol is kind of next in line after that. And so our vision is to really complete the whole, uh, be able to address the whole uh, FODMAP spectrum. Um, and so we're hard at work developing that that product. Um, it's a, um, a lot less trivial than we anticipated. Uh, it's a it's a it's a difficult solution, uh, which is why no one has ever come up with a good solution for polyols. Um, and you know, and in the meantime, uh, for those who are sensitive to polyols, we you know, FODZEM can at least reduce the other FODMAPs, reducing the overall, the total, you know, FODMAP content in, in their meals. So it's not it's not the best piece of news, but definitely um, some of that. Um, we have other projects all within the same ecosystem of, of making low FODMAP or FODMAP sensitive people, the life of FODMAP sensitive folks easier and more sustainable. So we have other, other products um, within the same space that, we're working on can't say just yet we're very excited about it um and or should we say it, um, <laughs> we or should say we it. Say it? <laughs> we can give some hints <laughs> yeah so to give a little bit of a um hint to some other projects that we're working on while the um you know very um large and, and non-trivial feat of developing a solution against polyols um is still, um, you know, very much on our minds and, and our team is um, diligently at work on that. But in the meantime, we are getting creative with our enzyme technology. So um, our novel fructan hydrolase um, enzyme, the um, our superstar um, that tackles arguably the biggest troublemaker, fructan, um, which is a big troublemaker in terms of both being ubiquitous and also clinically, um, from a clinically um from a clinical standpoint being um you know statistically more of a um more frequent of, and and um i guess more severe of a trigger for for fodmap sensitive folks so in the meantime we're getting creative with um these enzymes and we can take our enzyme technology and apply it to pre-treating foods so think of it like the lactate lactose-free milk kind of example that, that was brought up earlier. Um, but now we can make all sorts of things. And one thing that's kind of on the horizon that um, we're making available to FODZYME subscribers um, very soon um, is a low FODMAP garlic powder. So it's garlic that you don't have to do anything. You don't have to add extra FODZYME to it's it. It's real garlic. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is so exciting. And it's really bold. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I'm personally so excited for this. That is amazing that you guys are doing that. So it's already pre-treated. You won't need to add, add any additional. So you can just cook with it and, and you don't have to worry. Yeah. All on its own. It's certified FODMAP friendly. Um, you can use quite a bit of it and get a lot of, I mean, it, the, the FODMAP threshold, the low FODMAP threshold for this product is, you know, high enough that by that time you, you won't be able to like, when you get to the threshold, you won't be able to stand yourself and, and no one will want to be near you when you, right. <laughs> I don't think anyone is like drinking garlic powder, but you, you never know. Um, <laughs> that's, that's so, so great. That's, that's like probably the most used spice in our house. So 
personally, I'm very excited about that. Um, Yeah. Congratulations guys. That is, that is really huge. And I'm sure that's, you know, just the beginning of everything that you guys can, can build on with the technology. So um, thank you for, for sharing that. So you mentioned that earlier, you have the clinical study that is being published. So what does that look like? What does that mean um, as a consumer looking at that study? Yeah. So I think that I'll preface this by saying that, you know, in the U.S., we the FDA regulates dietary supplements in a very um, lax way, as in, you know, the, the dietary supplements don't need to prove efficacy. Um, just like, you know, as opposed to drugs, for example. Um, and that uh, definitely contributes to this, this idea of, you know, snake oil products, a lot of solutions, a lot of the, our customers have tried many, many products before getting to us, um, you know, all sorts of probiotics, which by the way, are not in the guideline for IBS treatment, for example, um, as well as, um, you know, a bunch of other herbal and whatnot type of solutions some of those might might you know might be able to help indeed um, um but just in general the threshold for evidence is not very high um so something that we wanted to prove from the beginning well just in general we wanted to make sure that we have you know a scientifically backable um solution for for patients in addition to all the anecdotal evidence that we have um but one of the things we wanted to understand at the beginning is um and, and prove the world that FODZYME actually works the mechanistically the way we we want it to, um, and so what we did is that we set up this really cool um, simulation of a GI tract of a human GI tract that simulates anywhere from the from the stomach until the end, until the colon basically, um, and it's a very very sophisticated simulation. So um, you can simulate the, the 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 pH the acids how things flow, how things get absorbed, like really, and the timing of all those things, like it's really, really um, um, cool type of simulation. Um, and we tested Fosdime through this system. We did a bunch of experiments on, on this type of system, um, but basically proving um, that Fosdime is very much active in the postprandial stomach environment, meaning after you eat or while you're eating, um, uh, the pH of the stomach is changing, um, and that actually becomes a, an ideal environment for Fodzyme to work on, and it's highly active in that in that environment. Um, Fodzyme may actually work start working way before it reaches the stomach, um, as you're chewing, or even if you put Fodzyme on a on a liquid, um, it might actually start working there already. Um, but it is very much active in in the in the human stomach. Um, and then what we also proved, and the way you simulate the colon, which is very interesting, is with um, stool samples from human donors. Uh, you simulate the microbiome, basically, um, and you want to see how that microbiome, um, how much gas it produces, uh, which is one of these, this is the troublemaking effect of, of FODMAPS is producing gas. Um, so we, we demonstrate that FODZYME uh, significantly reduces that gas production as well. Um, and we we published this in a, in a peer-reviewed journal um, last year, um, and it's just a very elegant um, and simple piece of evidence for, for anyone who's interested in how these things work. Uh, so definitely we can, we can maybe put the link somewhere if, if folks are interested, but, um, yeah. That is really cool. Yeah. If you send me the link, I'll put that in the, in the show notes is that I, I want to take a look at that. That sounds amazing how that was simulated and wow, that's, that's really, really cool. David had also mentioned that, you know, um, like they're one of the potential, like, I guess the, not so much on a um, health risk, but financial risk of, of trying Fodzyme if you use a little, you know, if it doesn't work for you. And also mentioned that um, a lot of the users that, that we have, they're folks who've tried a number of products that haven't worked for them. And I just wanted to comment and say that, you know, we want to make sure that that financial risk for, for um, new users just isn't there at all. Um, I know from experience, just being desperate, buying a ton of things on the internet after a flare up, and yes. then buying all of those things that that also don't don't move the needle, um, and then feeling like you know doubly terrible because I don't feel better, and I've also spent you know literally thousands of dollars on on um, 
over-the-counter supplements, even, even um, prescription medications that haven't um, done anything for me. And we want to make sure that no one who uses Fodzyme um, feels that way. Um, and we offer a 30-day, no questions asked, no questions asked money back guarantee. So if the if for whatever reason it doesn't work for someone, it the gut is a really complicated um, mechanism, and food on top of that is also complex and um, uh, multivariable. But if for any reason it doesn't work for someone, um, we're, we don't want their we, we don't want to t- take their money. So there should be absolutely zero financial risk for anyone to try this. Wow, that is fantastic that you offer that, and that just shows how. And not only confident you are in the product, but you're you're very empathetic towards the experience that people are are going through who may need this. So um, that's I mean, there's really no reason why someone shouldn't try this and, it, you know, at least see if it could be something that would would work for them. Um, mm-hmm. it, it can greatly improve your quality of life. So that's yeah. Wow. So. To go off of that, where can people purchase Fodzyme? Where can they get it? Where should they go? Where can they find you guys on social? Shout out all of the all of the uh, places where we can go to. Well, first, we're on our website at Fodzyme.com, F-O-D-Z-Y-M-E. Um, we're also on Amazon in the U.S. where you can order directly, um, not a prescription. Um, we also offer free shipping in the U.S. for orders placed on our website. We also have a number of international locations we ship to. So if you're international, um, you can find that in our FAQ. And then as far as um, social media, where can people find you? At Fodzyme on all those channels and all those platforms. Not Fodzyme, which is a very common <laughs> confusion point. Um, Fodzyme, F-O-D-Z-Y-M-E. This was fantastic thank you guys so so much there's so much knowledge that you guys shared i'm so happy for you guys and excited about the new product too um so thank you guys just for taking the time and for all the work that that you're doing to help people that are you know going through having these symptoms so thank you thank you so much for for having us All right. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I have linked the Fodzyme website, fodzyme.com, along with their social media in the show notes. And just a reminder, if you are interested in trying Fodzyme, you can use the code chronicallyblonde for 20% off your order. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I hope you all stay well, and I will talk to you next week.